0: You're listening to episode 185 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibard, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Reverend Paul Ipema takes us through the life and contributions of Pope Gregory the Great, a revered figure in Christian history, painting a vivid picture of Pope Gregory's influential work, the Book of Pastoral Rule. Reverend Ipema discusses how Pope Gregory's words have transcended the centuries and continue to offer invaluable insights to contemporary pastoral care. From the challenges of leadership to the delicate art of guiding and shepherding a diverse congregation, the principles laid out in the book of pastoral rule remain as pertinent today as they were during Gregory's time. Here's Reverend Ipema to talk about it.
1: I'd like to speak for just a few moments about Pope Gregory the first. Pope Gregory the uh, first is an interesting figure in that uh, he is a Pope who is, uh, has been greatly admired even by uh, the reformers and the reform tradition. In fact, it's been said that he was John Calvin's favorite Pope, if you can believe that, Um John Calvin quotes Gregory the Great over 50 times, by the way, in the final edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, mainly in terms of Gregory's teaching on uh, church polity, that is, church government. But in other aspects, too, there is a wealth of wisdom and uh, knowledge from Gregory and from his uh, experience. Um, There have been others uh, who have pointed out that Gregory probably is the most influential uh, writer on pastoral theology, at least up to the modern period. Um, And I would commend, especially for those uh, who are listening who are in the pastorate, um, the work of Thomas C. Odin, who has written extensively on the subject of the history of pastoral care? Um, he is he has a number of excellent works in which he um, explores the teaching of various periods of church history, how they've dealt with uh, the nature of pastoral care, how to go about not only with preaching and with worship, but also with how do you pastor God's people in the In the various contexts in which the church has found itself throughout history. Um, But he points out as well that uh, Gregory is considered uh, one of the great figures, at least of the early medieval period. He's considered one of the great uh, church fathers in the Latin period, as it's called, uh, ranking even with someone like uh, Ambrose of Milan or Augustine or Jerome. Uh, somebody who was widely respected. I think uh, you get a sense of that when you read Gregory's writing. You get a sense of not only the the wisdom, the insight, but also um, the practical insights that he brings to bear uh, upon uh, theological discussion. He's not simply interested in the theoretical. He's a very practical-minded um, theologian and church leader. I'll just say a little bit about his history. He lived uh, during the sixth century after the uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, and he came from a fairly well-to-do family. His father was the manager of extensive properties owned by uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and had means to provide uh, Gregory with a first-rate education. Um, he also was related to uh, previous popes. I believe his great Great grandfather had been pope at one time. Um, uh, but Gregory served both in, um, the ministry and the pastorate, but also in the, uh, the realm of the higher ecclesiastical offices. He, he was drawn to the ascetic life of, of a monk. In fact, um, there is something very appealing to him about a life of contemplation, spiritually speaking, a life in which one can meditate upon the scriptures and devote oneself to hours in prayer. And uh, it was difficult for him to leave that in order to do other work for the church. Um, Having said that, he also... Uh, was involved in uh, church political affairs. He was uh, the Pope's uh, ambassador or emissary to uh, Constantinople, to the Eastern Church, um, at least the eastern part of the church in Constantinople. So he had to deal with ecclesiastical diplomacy. He learned how to deal with uh, the relations between the eastern part of the church and the western part of church in Rome. And then ultimately, uh, after that was finished, he went back to the monastery, but then he was elected uh, as pope, which uh, my understanding is that he was quite reluctant uh, to assume that role uh, because his preference was for the contemplative life. But it's interesting, uh, when you read uh, his work on pastoral care, he uh, he makes a point of of emphasizing the fact that. Faithful pastors should have a balanced type of ministry in which uh, they can be engaged both in the contemplative uh, life, but also in the the practical, on the ground uh, sort of uh, work in the ministry. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Uh, in order uh, to be a faithful and a, an effective pastor, in his mind, it, it did no good simply to devote yourself exclusively. Uh, to contemplation if you weren't going to apply that to the lives and the benefit of the members of the church and uh, likewise if one all one did was the practical aspects of it without spending sufficient time and uh, reading and reflection upon scripture and prayer one would not be uh, an effective minister uh, to God's people. His most important work, or that which for which he is remembered, is his book on the book of pastoral rule, which, again, has been acclaimed by many up to our present day as being uh, one of the most significant, if not the most significant book in church history in the area of uh, pastoral care. And it's interesting, uh, the background or the events in the church at that time which gave rise to that book. Uh, because that book was written uh, to respond to a need, an urgent need, within the church at that time. Um, This was after the period of Constantine, where prior to the rule of Constantine, the church was in a relative minority in terms of the Roman Empire. Uh, Christians were routinely persecuted. It was difficult to be a member of the church. And so uh, there was real devotion, real commitment among the Christian communities in the Roman Empire. They were uh, devoted to scripture, devoted to the preaching and teaching of the word, devoted to caring for each other. But then with the uh, the reign of Constantine, you have uh, Christianity recognized legally as uh, the religion, as it were, of the empire. And what happened was the membership in the church uh, exploded. You had numerous people joining the church uh, and with various Uh, intentions. I mean, some were devout believers, but there were others who saw that it could be advantageous for them uh, financially or politically, perhaps, to be a member of the Christian church. But what happened with this rise, this dramatic rise in membership in the church, is you had uh, many people who professed to be Christians who were attending worship services, but who really did not know the gospel all that well and were quite unfamiliar with the scriptures. So how does the church respond to that? What Gregory was witnessing in his own day was uh, many who had trained for ministry uh, were overwhelmed by the situation, so much so that many flocked to the monasteries because they preferred a life of uh, silent contemplation and uh, removal from the rough and tumble of uh, pastoral ministry, so that they could focus upon their own spiritual well-being. And uh, this concerned Gregory a great deal. He he believed that ministry was not simply something that one did for oneself; it was meant to be of service to others. I mean, that's what ministry means, after all. It is a form of service, and so he wrote. Uh, the the book of of pastoral rule as a means of instructing those who were aspiring to the ministry, um, instructing them how to do the work faithfully, and he begins. There's really four sections or four books as uh, as they are listed in in our modern editions. Uh, the first dealing with you know who should be a pastor, who should aspire to the the ministry, and the emphasis falls upon the spiritual qualifications for that office. Of course, Gregory was simply echoing what the scriptures had taught, for example, in... uh, first timothy three and in titus chapter one among other passages that it's not so much a matter of one's academic abilities it's not so much a matter of one's social skills it's a matter of one's personal integrity of one's sincere commitment to the lord and to his people a love for the word of the lord and um he talks in that book about someone who who does not have that desire should not be encouraged uh, to pursue the work of ministry. And if someone does not have the requisite spiritual abilities, that person ought to be discouraged, in fact, from entering the ministry. And then he talks in book two about how a pastor should live. And here, he calls for humility above all, and that will be a theme throughout church history, by the way, in the major works on pastoral ministry. Humility uh, is often one of the things that is stressed the most. And I think that that stands to reason, considering the fact that a pastor is in a position of authority, of leadership, and um, the cardinal sin of anyone in a position of leadership or authority uh, is pride, it's hubris. And so Gregory emphasizes uh, a Christ-like humility, uh, a love, a a deep love for the Lord and for his people, Uh, the idea of of being a, a faithful shepherd, one who cares for uh, the people of God with great tenderness and affection and one who's diligent in this regard, not someone who's distracted by other things, someone who who can't be troubled uh, to, to care for the needs of, of the people of God, but rather someone who has a real heart for the people of God. And I think that's, that gives evidence of not only the wisdom of Gregory, but also his own pastoral experience. Uh, the largest section of the book is uh, devoted to uh, a discernment of the various kinds of people that you will minister to in the pastorate, and this uh, is my favorite part of of the book, and it's um, benefited many people, I think, throughout the course of church history, because Gregory uh, divides people into uh, two opposing categories or two uh, opposite uh, uh, Categories of people in terms of of their personality type, but also in terms of their station in life. So you have uh, young and old, you'll have wealthy and poor. you'll have people who are in positions of leadership and then people who are uh, who are servants, people who are slaves. Uh, how do you minister to them? Uh, what's interesting is in the all of these categories, um, that Gregory lists, there, there is a, a real discernment of uh, personality types, if I can use that, that uh, description that comes from uh, more contemporary modern psychology. He seems to have a real understanding of the fact that you cannot minister to people with a one-size-fits-all sort of, of ministry. And I think that's the most important thing that we can take away from book three of uh, the book of pastoral rule is that uh, you have to minister with an eye towards uh, the uniqueness of each uh, member. Even though uh, there is a, a common gospel, a common faith that we profess, um, there is a sense in which uh, the, the the work of ministry requires great skill and great understanding of how that word is to be applied, how it is to be used, for example, with the rich and encouraging them not to put their their trust in riches, to be generous to those who are less fortunate, to care for those who are in need. And then you have him uh, giving instructions to those who are poor uh, to be grateful for what God has given them, meager though it may be, uh, also to, to understand that they are not to be bitter or resentful towards those who are more abundantly blessed in terms of material possessions or even to be bitter against God. It's that sort of thing I think that stands out. Um, It's something that my colleague, again, Dr. Beach, has described as having congregational exegesis— or practicing congregational exegesis. You know, when, when a pastor works on a sermon, the foundation for that sermon, of course, begins with a careful and faithful exegesis of the text of Scripture. And Dr. Beach talks about how pastors must also be exegetes of the congregation that they serve. And I think that's very true as well. And Gregory gives us uh, direction in that regard as well. I was thinking... Uh, in connection with that, to something that someone like Fred Craddock, a, a name that some of our minister listeners may recognize, he he had had talked about the the role of congregational exegesis as well um, in terms of how we minister to people, not with some sort of blanket treatment of everyone. He writes, for example, in his uh, well-known book on on preaching, which I would commend, by the way to uh, our pastor listeners, he writes in that book, and I quote, no book of theology, even if it is addressed to the modern mind, no biblical commentary, even if it moves the the, the text toward the pulpit, no volume of sermons packaged and ready for delivery, has the word winged or the hearts and minds of a particular group of listeners. Only the minister there can properly do that. Whatever may be provided by a preacher by any and all resources, it is only when local soil has been added that the sermon will take root and grow. Such preaching is blessed by the Holy Spirit with the result that each one hears in his or her own language. End of quote. What he's saying, I believe, is is simply this, that we can have a a regular pattern of preparation for not only preaching, but I would say also there's an understanding of how we're to do the work of pastoral care, pastoral counseling, but it really is not nearly as effective as it should be if we don't give due attention to uh, the particular situations in which people live their lives. Uh, understanding their struggles, understanding their needs, understanding their histories. And I think a good pastor is going to devote the the time necessary to do that. Uh, A good pastor will get involved in the lives uh, of his people. I think there's a certain sort of uh, professionalism in the ministry that we want to discourage uh, among our pastors, that they remain sort of aloof or the temptation for many pastors is that they'll simply uh, hide in their their studies uh, with their books. That's a temptation for many of us who are in the pastorate, uh, because pastoral work can sometimes be difficult and messy. Uh, people's lives are messy, but uh, Gregory uh, and others have pointed out that really we don't do our maximum best when unless we get to know the congregation and minister to them along those lines. And then Gregory finishes with an exhortation to pastors to be diligent, to be humble, to be aware of our dependence upon the Lord in this work, and to go about that work trusting in the Lord's provision. So again, uh, to ask the question I opened with, what can a pope teach us about pastoral ministry? Well, in terms of Pope Gregory the Great, I think, and I hope, and I pray that uh, that Pope can teach us a great deal, and I hope that all of you, but especially those pastors who are listening, if you haven't read the book, uh, I urge you to read it. It is well worth your while, and to learn the lessons of church history, benefit from the insights and the experiences of others like Gregory, and seek to serve your congregation as a loving and faithful pastor.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode on the wisdom of Pope Gregory the Great and its relevance to pastoral care. Reverend Paul Ipema's insights were very helpful as he shed light on the profound lessons that we can draw from history and how to then apply them to our modern practices, particularly those in pastoral ministry. Next time, we'll take a break from a podcast series and enjoy an interlude of Dr. Andrew Compton taking the helm, guiding us through a discussion with alumnus of Mid-America Reverend Tim McClymonds on the topic of corporate chaplaincy. The workplace can be a challenging environment and corporate chaplains play a vital role in offering support, comfort, and spiritual guidance to employees in times of personal or professional trouble. Make sure you tune in next time here on Roundtable. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with friends or family. Your support helps us bring more engaging content to your listening platforms, and it helps us foster not just a community of lifelong learners, but of thoughtful practitioners. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.